seven yards of glory. Towards the end zone for Hopkins. Oh, baby. Watch what it. a grab. Steps, throws, end zone. Hello and welcome back to Tackling the Texans. I'm Eli. And I'm Max. And we're really excited to be back with you. Unfortunately, it's not under the best of circumstances after last week, of course. But that is why it took us a little bit longer to get back. We were deciding exactly how to approach and then hop into, obviously, some of the big things that have happened for the Texans in the last week after the game as well. And uh, go into what that means for the Texans' season. So I think that last week, obviously, um, it really wasn't something that, uh, you know, I think either of us expected. Obviously, I predicted a, a big win there, and I thought the Texans were the better team. But I think that uh, it's probably not such a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. I think a lot of things went against the Texans as well. Yeah, it's all going back to what we've seen from Bill O'Brien, and it's a little bit worrying in the sense where, we've kind of seen a shift in the sense where the Texans are pulling out big wins and we just love to see that consistency to turn us into true contenders. I think that's going to be a huge difference is consistently beating those top teams. Yeah, I mean, it's very true. It's that when we go against the really well-coached teams, I really don't just, I just don't see the ability to overcome, you know, the scheming, especially on the offensive side of the ball relative to how good our offense is with the talent there. And the problem really is, is that once you get to the playoffs, I mean, do you have faith right now that uh, Bill O'Brien can come anywhere in the realm of, you know, a Belichick or even an Andy Reid coming up, not just with, you know, a, a creative scheme, but one of their schemes that they've created for the playoffs, something that they've done specifically to throw off teams. And obviously we saw some of the problems with the officiating, uh, especially with the Watson non-sack. You do have to get past those kind of things. It happens week to week, especially in the regular season. You can't overreact. But there were a number of other issues as well. Yeah, the other one was on a fourth down play, we tried to run a slant to Hopkins. Watson got smacked in the face, straight into the ground, and there was no call. And that's part of the thing with Bill O'Brien is he needs to be able to talk to the guys, get them past it. That stuff is going to happen. Refs can't be perfect. It's frustrating, but it is what it is. And we need to push past and be able to beat those teams because when it happens in the playoffs, you can't make excuses. You got to go win the championship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, Bill, again, obviously he has to handle the player side of uh, the team and really has to deal with those personalities, but that has been his strong suit over the years. It's been something he's always been praised for. And the one thing that we've always, uh, and the one thing that we've always criticized him for specifically is usually his game management. And that's something that definitely was on display towards the end of the game last week. I mean, it was really ridiculous seeing seeing the timeout call to take the safety instead of the delay of game. Uh, and then the safety, seeing as it would have been the exact same outcome. I understand he was running down the sideline trying to get the play across. But it, it's just something that we see too much to be able to just let it go and say, oh, you know, it, it, there was some last minute miscommunication because it's something that we almost see on a week to week to week basis and we've gotten used to in the Texans fan base. Yep. And the fact that we can look through pretty much any of the close games we've had so far, which is everything but the Falcons, the fact that we can look through and pick out a specific massive game management issue from each game, that's that's pretty worrying. But at the same time, he's done a pretty good job on the player side 
of dealing with the injuries that we've had to face so far. Yeah, and I mean, the fuller injury is obviously something that's tough to see, pretty heartbreaking as a Texans fan. It's something that we've seen every year that he's been in the league, actually right around this time in the season. And one thing that it did highlight, though, which is actually somewhat of a silver lining, is the kind of uptake of Bill O'Brien as this general manager uh, who's actually been more reactive and has been more on the ball, in my opinion, than any general manager I've seen as a Texans fan in my lifetime. Now, that's a really good sign. And the reason why we saw that silver lining in the Fuller injury is because now we have Kenny Stills there to actually back it up. So that Tunsil trade wasn't just beneficial because of Tunsil. We actually were able to get a piece that's going to benefit us moving forward and hopefully still help us win that division where we're going to have that deep threat consistently. Yeah, and that's where like the media focus just only on the fact that we gave up two firsts for Tunsil. And look, Tunsil has looked great. The pre-snap penalties are tough, but he has looked really good. It was also the fact that we traded a second and a sixth for Miami's fourth, and we got to offload some contracts in Davenport and in Johnson Batamosi. So look, the deals have looked good and we still do have tons of picks moving forward, even with these trades. Honestly, it's something that I've seen and heard so much from Texans fans that, and especially critics actually outside from the media as well, saying, you know, that we have mortgaged the future, that, you know, things are going to be put on hold, that it's completely win now, which is kind of an approach that I've supported in the past. But honestly, when we look at the draft next year, I mean, I'm definitely not feeling like we're hindered. We have a second round pick. We have two third round picks from the Matthew and Jackson comps. We have a fourth round pick from Miami. We still have our fourth, our fifth, and we might even get a seventh as uh, compensation for Kendall Lamb. So, I mean, things really aren't as gloomy and, and, and dire as, as some people would really make out. And the whole thing also is how important are these picks when you have your franchise quarterback, when you have figured out the most important position on the football field after that, it's really just filling in the holes and doing what you need to do. Trading away first really doesn't mean that much when we have a quarterback who every fan can vouch for the fact that we could see him there for 15 more years. Well, and of course, the one thing people could especially say is, you know, the Texans can look there for their secondary. That kind of brings us into the next big step and move we've seen in the progression of Bill O'Brien as a GM, which was the huge pickup of Gary and Conley this week, which I know me and Max are extremely excited for. We think any Texans fan should be thrilled about the pickup, uh, not only for the value, but also for the production that Gary could bring in as well, the ceiling that he has running a 4-4-5 in the draft, and somebody that we can really see breaking out, even though he really didn't have so much of a standout role in Oakland. Yeah, and look, he's still very young. He's a former first-round pick. We have him on contract for two more years, and then we decide whether he's worth extending. So we get a tryout, and even Conley at his worst is still good. We saw this happen with Eli Apple in New York. He got traded to the Saints, and he's a completely different cornerback. And it is somewhat relevant to this situation because of the fact that they're both Ohio State cornerbacks. They're going into a scheme that fits them better as a player. And a strong part of that comparison, Max, that you just made is that Oakland actually runs uh, man defense really not that often, probably uh, close to the bottom of the league in terms of uh, the prevalence of how often they're actually running it. And when you compare that to Houston, who runs man coverage fourth in the NFL, at the fourth highest rate, I mean, it really is kind of a perfect storm for Garyon to finally go back 
to that, you know, first round pick in 2017 stature, you know, the reason that people saw him at Ohio State in those man coverage sets, of course, Ohio State plays almost an entirely man coverage. And I think that him getting back to that, getting into a new environment, uh, you know, him only really being two years removed from being that first round pick with the value there, it really is a no brainer. It's something that I admire Bill O'Brien for doing and I think is going to pay dividends moving forward. And Eli, you spoke about Conley running a four four five at his combine, which is very important because he's the perfect opposite player to Lonnie Johnson in our secondary of the future. We have Lonnie as a lengthy guy to cover their big receiver, and we have Conley as a four four five guy to carry the the quick, the fast receiver down the sideline or whatever he needs to do. We have somebody who can truly keep up with them. So some of the stats that we've seen from him in man, according to Pro Football Focus. He's given up just seven catches in man coverage this season, including 1.38 yards and 0.19 targets per man coverage snap. That is very, very impressive. Teams don't even want to throw at him in man coverage. It's just been frustrating for Raiders fans to see him used in the wrong scheme. But I know, Eli, you're very excited about this. What this trade does is it puts the cornerback room in the same situation the receiver room is at where you have the depth, and if somebody's not performing, if somebody's not playing well, you swap them in because we now have four very good cornerbacks on this team. Not even that, but I think people like Jonathan Joseph, uh, who, who's honestly a good cornerback in the league, and I actually like what he's been doing the last two years. The problem is is that he's very clearly not a, 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 a CB1 in the NFL nowadays. He just doesn't have the speed and athleticism to really keep up with those top-end guys anymore, and it's an unfortunate thing because I think that he's gotten burned and exposed on too many occasions where it's really just the position that he's put in on the Texans' defense with the lack of depth they've had in the past. So the addition of Conley, Lonnie Johnson really stepping into a more prominent role, seeming like he might be a consistent contributor, that kind of thing allowing Jonathan Joseph to step in to a role that maybe he hasn't in a few years, something that he obviously has, you know, the veteran experience and the football IQ to do. It's something that I think is going to benefit the Texans defense a significant amount. And going into this week, Conley actually gets to play against his former team, Assuming Tyrell Williams is healthy and ready to go, it's the perfect time to see Conley's speed, to see Conley's man coverage ability against a very quick, a very good breakout receiver in Tyrell Williams. So with that, what do you see for this game, Eli? What do you think are going to be some some key points to the game? What do you think we need to do to pull out a win to move to 5-3? and three? Look, obviously, I'm extremely, extremely excited to see Conley in action. Uh, and corner is, of course, one of those positions where you can actually see contribution right when somebody gets traded over, which isn't really something that's a usual occurrence in sports. So that's really exciting. We saw with Jalen Ramsey last week, he made an immediate impact week one. And that's something that I think we're actually hoping to see with Conley, especially when somebody's expertise is in man coverage. Uh, That's something that we're going to be looking for and I'm excited for. But to kind of power past that, uh, just because I'm a little bit excited, I think that the game is going to go extremely well. The Raiders have actually impressed me a lot this season. Um, I think they're an exciting team. I actually like what Gruden's been doing. I think their defense has been giving up a lot of big plays. And I think so long as we can keep 
Kiki Kuti active, we're going to obviously have to involve him more in the offense on those short crossing routes. DeAndre is going to have to, of course, be involved more downfield now, which we haven't seen earlier in the season. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of a step back into what we saw last season with the targeting of DeAndre. But the difference is that we do have Kenny to still stretch the field, which is an important note because it keeps our offense dynamic. Now, two things to bring up, one on offense, one on defense. I think on both sides of the ball, we're a really good matchup for Oakland's team. Number one is the fact that we now have tackle injuries. We had Dan Skipper play part of last week after Roderick Johnson went down. Regardless of who gets the start there this week, depending on who's healthy, their edge rushers really haven't been a force, and I don't think it should be that difficult to contain them and give Watson the time in the pocket to maneuver and do what he needs to do to absolutely exploit that defense. Yeah, like you mentioned, the defense has been giving up yards and yards to wide receivers. They've really been getting exposed week over week, and I think that that's going to really swing in the Texans' favor. The Texans' defense has looked good but not great the last few weeks. I think that improves. They have a big week. They step up this week. Romeo has a decent game plan. I definitely am taking Texans with the win. And when we look at the Oakland offense and what they're going to be able to do, a lot of their offense runs through Josh Jacobs. We still have one of the best run defenses in the league, even without Clowney here this year. So I really think with their lack of depth at receiver, with Carr at quarterback, and with the fact that our run defense is really good, I think we shouldn't struggle that much to do a very good job of shutting them down. And let's mention that their biggest contributor on offense, non-surprisingly for a Raiders offense, is Darren Waller right now, who's been an absolute force. But luckily, unlike in past years, luckily we can have the assurance of knowing uh, that Deshaun Gibson and maybe a little bit sprinkled in of Lonnie Johnson are going to do the job and shut somebody big, fast, and wide receiver like down at that tight end position. And they actually run a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field. And in that case, if we run Lonnie on Waller because he's more of a receiver prototype and then we put Gibson on Foster Morrow, who's been one of their big... Uh, better players this year on offense, I think they really won't be able to move the ball against us. And that'll be really nice and unusual to see for the Texans D. And finally, Eli somewhat jinxed the Texans last week by saying we're going to go 13 and three and that our only loss is going to come against the Pats. So with that, Eli, do you want to go back on any of your predictions, change what you have to say, and maybe make a new prediction for where we finish in the division and our final record? What I will say to defend myself quickly is that the segment that we did was kind of quick fire, really fast. Are we going to win? Are we going to lose? I think I exercised a little bit of Homer bias there, and I just couldn't really separate myself from each individual matchup. And last week at Lucas Oil, um, we saw a little bit of a disjointed game. Obviously, I was wrong. I, I, I Personally, I still think the Texans should have pulled out that win. Uh, with a number of variables potentially swinging that uh, game in the other direction. But that being said, I probably would rescind what I said a little bit just because I still haven't really seen enough of a transition from this offense into that uh, new era, into that Tim Kelly offense, you know, supposedly that, that we should be seeing. Potentially, you know, some of this could be him as well. But I just haven't seen enough of that. I've seen more flashes of it than last year. But I think that I'd probably amend what I said to somewhere around maybe a 12-4, and four, an 11-5, and five, probably an 11-5. and five. Now, Eli, 
avoiding the Pats. You're going to pick one. I'm going to pick one. Pick one game that you think we will really struggle and that we might not be able to win. Because obviously we like to predict wins. We like to see us beating all of the teams that we play against. And other than the Pats, there's really not a team that we shouldn't see us winning that Vegas might not have us as favorites. So what's a game on our schedule, not the Pats, that you think will struggle and that we may not be able to come out with a win? The one that I predicted that I also said definitely would be a toss-up is that Baltimore game. They're scary, and the one thing that I think that I probably don't think about enough initially, right off the bat, is how well-coached they are. I know Harbaugh's had his moments in the past, but this year, the team does actually look extremely well-coached. The addition of Marcus Peters makes them a lot more of a threat defensively than they looked early in the season, and... I just really think that that game is a lot more of a toss-up and will probably come down to how Lamar fares against Deshaun. Yeah, and when we look at that Ravens game, it's already a better matchup this week than it was last week for us against Baltimore because obviously they have Hollywood Brown, an absolute downfield burner, but now we have a 4-4-5 cornerback to carry him downfield. And another game where we can see Conley having an instant impact is I spoke last week about the fact that Tampa Bay may be a tough game for us because they have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Obviously, no matter what cornerbacks we have rostered, no matter what cornerbacks are playing, it's going to be very tough to see a scenario in which Jameis doesn't go for over 300, 400 yards because our defense is very bend, don't break. And it'll all come down to how many touchdowns we can limit those two receivers to. But At the end of the day, I still think that should be a win, and I'm sure Eli feels the same about the Baltimore game. As much as it might be a tough game and may come down to the wire, I think hopefully by that point we can see Bill O'Brien coming out with close, big wins to to really lead us in the right direction into the playoffs. Longest active turnover streak in the NFL for the Texans, and Jameis Winston probably has some turnover streak going right now that I don't know about, Uh, so I actually am not too worried about that game. But uh, that definitely is a positive note to end this on. Uh, I do see great things happening this week in Oakland, and hopefully we come back on a positive note next week after a huge win. Uh, We hope everybody enjoys the game, and we'll see you guys next week.